The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Girls That Invest is one of the top investment podcasts in the world. Two millennials demystify and provide an intro to investing for their audience to try to make more women welcome in the world of finance. It's been wildly successful, seeing founders Simran Kaur and Sonia Gupta speak around the world, deliver a TEDx talk, and tick over 150,000 Insta followers and a million downloads. To talk the journey, dismantling the patriarchy through financial independence, and what's next, co-founder Simran Kaur joins us now. Tenakwe, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Hey, it's, um, I love it. Like the podcast is great and I love the, um, yeah, I love the mission. Like tell me how you got started. I think for me throughout my life, like I've just always been interested in female empowerment and whether that just be, you know, with my friends or talking and doing things here and there. And then I really realized that one of the biggest keys for that was financial um, independence. And, you know, you can't really tell women, go and live your life or do what you want or leave that bad relationship if they don't have the money to do those kind of things. Um, and so one day, Sonia and I, my best friend, we've been best friends for 20 years. We were talking um, at my flat and we kind of just brought up our money stories. And I was like, this is what I make. This is what I want to save up. I want to buy a house one day this is what I invest in. And she was like, this is how much I've saved. And I was like, how much? Like it blew my mind Um, because you don't, you know, speak to your friends about money and you don't think, look at them and go, wow, that they're loaded. Um, But we kind of were talking and realized that if we weren't opening up about these kind of things and we'd known each other for 20 years and you talk to your best friend about everything, um, we thought, well, if we can start having these conversations, hopefully other people will look at us and go, well, if they can talk about it, you know, maybe I should talk to my friends about it or my family about it. And it's just about getting more people to talk about money. Yeah, people not talking about money means that people aren't in control of their finances. And it can seem kind of like gauche or a bit crass to talk about money. But actually, money equals freedom and choice and independence. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's kind of what we speak on. You know, it's not about trying to get people to buy fancy cars or live in expensive homes. I mean, if that's what you want to do, you know, power to you. But it's more about how do you get enough money to have those choices, those freedoms in your life? And to get there, we need to start talking about it. Because if you don't talk about it, you don't learn how other people do it. Um, and it's all very taboo and very, you know, shameful. And I think we definitely have a culture in New Zealand where in general, we're te- we tend to be more humble. We tend to not talk about it, but also means that other people can't learn from you. Yeah, I reckon that we're so 
unpretentious that it's actually kind of pretentious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like that. People are working so hard to like show that they're not working, you know, to show that they don't care about stuff, but they, they really do. And, you know, there's, there's always been like a class divide, you know, which rich dad, poor dad um, is a great encapsulation of and that, you know, there are certain things that wealthy families manage to pass on to, to their children. But on top of that, there's a massive gender divide because even in these wealthy families, you know, it's always been passing down through uh, the, the male worlds. Tell us about the scale of the problem and, yeah, like how you're, how you're helping to Turn that ship around. Yeah, I mean, we've we've done um, we've seen a lot of research come out in the past, which has kind of spoken on the idea of that you know, women in New Zealand at least only sixteen percent of us are investing, which um, is very very small. And in comparison, men are investing around thirty to forty percent, which is still low. But on average, you want to be seeing you know, two genders that are an equal size of the population to be investing as much. And then when you look into it further, you realise, well, why aren't they investing? And the biggest um, sort of research that was found is that there's just this knowledge gap and people want to learn. It's not that they're not interested. It's not that they don't um, care. It's just that they don't know how to get started. Um, And the gap only continues when there is more misinformation, whereas if a person goes, okay, it's not that hard. I understand what's involved. I want to talk to my family about it. Then you're going to start to close that gap. Yeah, like evidence shows that the most likely um, signal that a child is going to be educated is the education of their mother. And I imagine it must carry through to all kinds of other positive behaviour. Absolutely, yeah. It's so interesting. Um, There was a study that was done last year in New York and they found that if they gave women that came from low socioeconomic backgrounds about $1,000 a month extra in cash, um, their children ended up developing better, being more healthier, gro- you know, growing faster, um, speaking earlier, walking earlier. And it was just $1,000 a month. And it just went to show, like, if you take care of mum and if mum can take care of the kids, um, it just has such a knock-on effect to the rest of the family's life. And it's just interesting. And you came to this from having um, already built like a really successful and uh, important platform on Instagram. Tell us about the Indian feminist. So that was a sort of uh, social enterprise that I started when I was in university. It became more of a hobby initially. Um, You know, I would say I'm a very big procrastinator and rather than doing my assignments or studying for exams, I kind of started this account um, with another friend of mine. And that came from the um, interest I had around feminism. And I would follow other accounts that were amazing, but I didn't really find anything that filled the gap for South Asian women because our experiences are very, um, very specific where you've got very traditional old mindsets in the culture. And then you move to a country like New Zealand or, or, you know, anywhere overseas and you go, oh, but there's a different way of living and you're kind of stuck between two places. Um, and so that kind of started, as I mentioned, as a hobby, but it just, I guess there was such a demand for that kind of content and information and the way that it was delivered that it grew quite um, largely. And I was really into graphics designing at the time. So then I would kind of, uh, I, I took what I had and turned it into a merchandise business. And so that was something that I honestly did for fun and I've I've enjoyed it so much and it's brought me so many opportunities but 
It was my first time realising what social media could do in terms of the business. And with that background in leading, uh, you know, some, some conversations that aren't always in public spheres and then doing that with Girls That Invest, tell us about, like, how you've gone about uh, growing the growing the following and the platform and what you do um, to the side as... Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, lots of people can start a podcast, but how do you go from being in New Zealand to being one of the top podcasts about investment in the world? Um, I think it comes from the idea that you, when when we would start these kind of things, I always started with the idea that it would grow. And so I remember with Girls That Invest, I, even though we were starting off very small and we never knew that it would grow so big, but you, we always started off with the platform or foundation that if it grows, it needs to cater for everyone. And so I was very specific with the kind of content we would speak about. For example, we wouldn't quote things in New Zealand dollars, we'd just say dollars. Or we wouldn't just give New Zealand examples, we'd give American examples, UK examples. And we wanted um, people to feel like this was a kind of global brand as opposed to just, you know, New Zealand based. And I notice a lot of New Zealand businesses um, will do things where they kind of cap themselves off from the rest of the world so that when growth happens, it's sort of a mad dash to go, no, no, mad dash to go, no, no, you know, we, we do want to cater to everyone. So I think it's just being intentional a bit about how you start. And so from the beginning, thinking that you could, uh, talk to the world and cover kind of global topics as well as, you know, covering American shares and American, um, or, or, you know, themes in the wider world of investing. What kind of approach do you take to kind of, um, you know, what, who's your audience and what are you trying to help them with? Our audience is mainly young women um, and men, uh, particularly people from minority backgrounds, people that have never felt like they could walk up to a financial advisor and go, hey, can you tell me more? Um, And it's more about us breaking down the stigma, the jargon and the words so that one day if they do want to go to a financial advisor, they feel confident. They feel like they're turning up with a little toolkit of information where if someone throws a word at them, they can go, ah, that makes sense. You know, I think the equivalent for me would be when I go to a mechanic, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm very confused and anxious and you either take on what they say or you're completely against it because you don't trust what's being told to you. Um, And so that's the kind of approach I take with the podcast where I want people to feel comfortable to go into their finances um, in a way that they feel like they've got a couple of words here and there. They understand the basics. And we never really tell people what to invest in. It's more what's a fund, what's a stock, um, you know, how would you get started? How did you build the audience? I would say it came naturally to me. I think I I struggle with this question because I think a lot of people ask me, like, how do you grow sizable audiences online? And I don't want to say it's just, you know, turn up every day and post, but that's really what it is, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) Um, But I, I guess for me, it comes from the idea of understanding what do people want? And what people want is something that's helpful for them, not something that you think is is the right thing to put out. And so everything that I would do, every post I would upload, if the community likes it, there'll be more of that. If they don't like it, I cut it out of my schedule. And it's just like this little wheel where it gets better every week because you see what people like, you're putting out more, you try new things, you see if they like them. If they don't, you know, you don't go with it. And so it's just this trial and error process and being constantly active every day and sharing things with them that they want. So one of the things I picked up is that a lot of people, like I love reading the news, I'll read 
you know, all my news apps every morning, but not a lot of people like that. No one wants to wake up and read, you know, the Wall Street Journal, which is fine. Um, but people still want to know what's happening with the stock market. And so I would turn these news articles into bite-sized tweets that would just kind of summarise, you know, Apple shares did this this month or their earning reports was was poor this quarter. Turn them into a tweet um, format, put that on Instagram or on Twitter And people would love it because they'd get sort of a summary of what's going on in the market without needing to jump onto another app because they're already on, you know, Instagram or Twitter. And so it was things like that where I was like, okay, I see what people are liking. You know, let's just do more of that. And when you are consistent and you show that you're listening to them as opposed to just doing what you want to do, I think people respond well and it just grows. Can you tell me about the ways that you've turned it into a business? Like how do you... um, you know, monetize the brand or kind of engage your audience? And was that always the plan? I think for me, what I found from the beginning was that you never want to monetize something straight away, at least in the social media world. I think people can smell uh, a genuine brand versus someone that's out to make, you know, a quick buck. And so for the first year and a bit, we actually didn't take any money. It was very much self-funded um, and then as we started to grow, we started to get more exposure. And um, I, I went to an event one day where I spoke to university students and one of the uh, speakers there were from Shares Eastbrook, who you've had on the podcast. And we kind of got talking and I said, you know, I've got this brand, da, da, da. Um, and so they were very kind to sponsor us for four months straight, which was, you know, our first ever sponsor. And it was absolutely amazing. They took such a chance on us because we were quite small back then. Um, and it just kind of grew from there. So podcast sponsorship, social media sponsorships are huge because we've got a big social media following. Um, and then we have one product of our own, which is kind of the next step from the free information that we release, which um, kind of puts all the information together and it's a paid step-by-step investing um, kind of masterclass, you could say. And so those are the only products we have. And I like to just keep it very simple to me. It's, you know, you've got your social media You've got your podcast, you've got the paid course, and that's it. And that financial education course, um, yeah, talk us through what kind of things you cover and what that looks like and how's the response been? The response has been absolutely amazing. I remember the first time I released it, it was a pre-sale because I just wanted to see if there was any interest in it. I thought maybe 10 people would sign up and I, you know, I was very happy with that. Um, the first time we did it, you know, there was no reviews, there was no background. Um, we had 500 people sign up and that just blew my mind. And ever since we've had over 3,000 students worldwide, um, the course primarily breaks down, you know, the basics of investing again. So, you know, what is a fund? What are the different sectors? How would you know what the difference between a growth fund is or a growth stock or, you know, this and that? How does Warren Buffett invest? How does this investor invest? And it's very factual based um, and it's just so that people feel like they've got that A to Z understanding of the stock market. Because we've, we've noticed a lot of people, especially women, you'll explain it to them and they go, that's too simple. I'm sure there's more to it. And so the, the course is to kind of cover everything where they can go, okay, I feel like I truly understand it all. Now I'm comfortable to go out and invest. And we'll be back in a moment with Simran Kaur to talk about the barriers to investment and where Girls That Invest is going. 
Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Hokimai Ano, we are here talking with Simran Kaur from Girls That Invest. And I saw that you recently talked on Voices, the great show on Radio NZ. And you talked about this idea of everyone having a money history. Uh, what a great concept. Can you can you talk us through that? Yeah, so a money history is basically um, the way that you've grown up with money, the way the thoughts you might have had, the feelings you might have had. Um, I think we all have one. It's ne- it's not necessarily something that's front of mind for most people, but you'll start to realise, you know, some people are more on the side of being a spender. Some people are more on the side of being a saver. Some are, you know, very extravagant. Some are very frugal. Um, and it's not necessarily a choice that we make, you know, when we turn 10 years old and we go, I just want to save. Um, but it's the way that people around us have perhaps shaped our views on money. And it's important to know your money history and your money story because that way you can kind of unravel the thoughts you've had about money growing up. For example, you know, I grew up thinking money was very evil and it was something that if you were to be wealthy, you were probably a terrible person or um, you were very busy, you didn't have time for your friends and family. And, you know, I didn't want any part of that. Um, And that was just from the experiences that I had growing up. And it's interesting, you know, to think something at seven years old and to hold on to that belief into your adulthood um, is an interesting way to live your life. And so it's, I think it's important to be able to break that down and go, well, why do I think that way? And maybe there's a different way of thinking about the same thing. It's so interesting as I think, you know, one of the reasons this podcast is here is that um, I I grew up thinking that business was somehow not creative. Mm. And I thought that to be kind of, you know, uh, a legitimately creative human you had to go do something more in the kind of arts realm or something. And then so stayed away from it, even though I'd always been like weirdly fascinated, like unusually interested in it. Uh, and, and it took me quite a long time to come come back to it. And that that's just kind of not being aware of the stories you tell yourself when when you're young. Absolutely. I felt I felt the same way. I'm definitely more of a creative person. Um, and I always thought, again, business was something that was very rigid and, you know, you're in a suit, you're in an office and, and that's kind of it. Um, but it's so much more and it's so interesting and there's so much flexibility and it does feel very creative. Yeah. And one of the few places that 
you know, if you can make things work, you can write your own rules on how you approach things where, you know, go work in, 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 in the public service and try write your own rules. <laughs> 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 or, or big, big bureaucracies. Uh, and tell me about that. You know, when you're explaining that, you talked about your experience there. And how has that been to, because um, I guess you didn't really plan to go out and have to talk about your own experience and be kind of the front person for all of this. And how's that been for you? Personally, it's been interesting. I think I'm someone that's always been open to talking and sharing my experiences, my opinions. I was definitely that kid in school that would, you know, have written on my report, you know, great student, but just talks all the time and distracts everyone else. Um, And I think I've just learned to play to that strength in a way where, um, you know, I don't mind going out there and kind of being more open and being more vocal because I think that there's just so much that we can all learn from each other and I learn so much from other people, you know, going out and sharing their experiences. So I love that I can do the same. And now you've got hundreds of thousands of people who, uh, you know, like follow what you're up to. What are some of the things that have kind of popped up as a result of having that following? It's because we talk about money um, and there's a large following, it's really interesting. Um, one day I was getting my nails done and the lady sitting next to me, you know, we didn't say anything. She was getting hers done. I was getting mine. And then by, by the end she got up and she said, by the way, congrats on how much you made last month, because that's the kind of information we share on the podcast. Um, and it was just such a <laughs> interesting experience to know that, you know, someone sitting next to you could know something so intimate like your salary, but at the end of the day, that's what we do and we, we're so transparent and open because if we talk about it, again, it's going to encourage other people to speak about these things. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably one of the weirder experiences, but overall it's been more positive and it's just great to have you know people coming up to you and going, thank you for starting this. Now I felt more comfortable to ask for a raise or start investing or save up for a home deposit. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the, the net positive of what's come. Yeah, and it's a radical act, right? Like if there's no space there and then you you take the space by talking about it and if women traditionally haven't spoken about salary and as a result there's a massive pay gap in pretty much every industry, uh, yeah, just sharing that information is, is, is an act. Yeah. What would you describe as your investment style or what's the kind of things in investment that get you interested me and Sonia always joke that we're kind of nana investors. It's very boring. It's very simple. Um, and we're big fans of long-term investing. You know, we'll speak about all the different types that are out there. For example, people that day trade, people that are in and out quite quickly trying to jump on, you know, the next big stock. Um, but for us personally, I used to come from a healthcare background. I wasn't in the financial space to begin with. And, um, with my background, we the way we would work is you don't prescribe someone a drug based on your gut feeling. You prescribe it based on the research that's been done to say this works for X, Y, Z reason. And so I've kind of approached investing the same way. If there's research to back it, that's the way I'll invest. And the research overwhelmingly shows that passive investing, so investing you know the same amount every month into a broad index fund um, is probably one of the easier ways to go. And you're kind of getting more bang for your buck in that regard. So that's how we both invest. And not in an investment um, advice kind of way, but what kind of companies stand out to you as companies that do cool things and do things in different ways? 
I'm really interested um, in tech, and I think that's just probably the millennial in me. I just find it so interesting, and I think it's such a disruptive technology. I still remember when Google, you know, started becoming popular, and our teachers sat us down and showed us this website and said, you know, you can type in anything, and all these results come, and it just blew my mind. And you know, to see how much tech has changed our world, um, you know, just someone from someone that was born sort of the mid '90s, it's not that much of a long period of time, but that stuff just interests me so much. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen a lot of interesting commentary, uh, you know, people drawing comparisons between the moment now when there's been a big retraction in a lot of um, growth in tech stocks and people uh, saying, is it going to be like the dot-com bust that led to, um, you know, years and years of not much happening? But I think the big difference now is that there are, um, path to market to immediately get, you know, if you're in both of the app stores, Google and Apple's, you've got billions of potential customers. And there's, there's, there's like, there's a lot more actual kind of connectedness and real businesses than that, that run. Hey. Absolutely. And I also want to like talk about the fact that with the dot-com bubble, a lot of these companies weren't making any profit, but, um, you know, had such high valuations and people were jumping in. I kind of put that with what we're seeing in crypto right now, as opposed to what we're seeing in stocks, because at least with stocks, if you're investing in something that you can say is a company that's making profit and you can understand how the business works, you know, that's a very different conversation to something that has .com at the end of it and you're chucking your life savings into it. Yeah, these days it has .io or .blockchain, .s. Yeah, and then um, how do you think businesses, because we, we were talking about there like, you know, ethics and transparency, which is a huge theme and what mm -hmm. millennial investors especially are interested about. How can businesses be more ethical and transparent? I, w I would say that there's um, a number of things because you're right, you know, millennial investors and Gen Z investors are really starting to say that ethical investing is an important part of how they view a brand. And that can really range, I guess, you know, it's as things as simple as good business practices in terms of management, you know, all the way down to the other end of the spectrum, which is, you know, making sure that people are being paid wages that are legal and, and making sure they've got safe work environments. And I think if you'd look at your business and thought, this is something that I feel proud of and I know that my people are being taken care of and the products are coming from places that aren't harming other people, then, you know, I think that's a really good place to start. It's interesting, though, we see consumer culture has become more, you know, uh, sustainable with the way that we purchase things. For example, when I was younger, I remember it was fine to say that, you know, mascara was tested on animals. It was fine to say that your perfume was tested on animals. And now everything is cruelty-free, vegan, no animal testing whatsoever. And that's just come from the fact that consumers have said, I won't buy from it if it has that. And we're seeing that sort of spill over into investments where people are saying, I won't invest in that if they do the same thing. And at its best... Uh, a line I love is every dollar you spend is a vote for the kind of world you want to live in. And ah. people people f believe that, hey? I'm a huge fan of that. How about in your own business? Are you, um, you know, I, I see you've recently gone into a new office after having um, built this out of kind of um, bedrooms and flats <laughs> and stuff, which is so cool. Um, are you hiring staff? Are you growing? What's, what's you, where are you sitting? Um, so with Girls That Invest, the first hire 
has actually been my best friend, Sonia. And um, initially when we started it, I was kind of running it from my bedroom and I kind of asked her to jump on, you know, once a week to record with me and I was doing the back end. Um, But now we've gotten to a stage where we're growing and so she's on full time. And it's just been amazing. I mean, you know, a lot of people say don't do business with your friends, don't do business with your family, and I can see where they're coming from. Um, But, yeah, it's just been an awesome process so far. How has the last couple of years of uh, disruption and the working from home trend and all of these things, have they touched you as a business? So we started during the pandemic. So it was one of those things where, and I think a lot of businesses are starting to do this, a lot of us that are growing or have begun in the last couple of years have only known this kind of working environment. And so one of my goals with the brand was that it would be completely remote um, and that no matter where I lived or Sonia lived, whether we were holidaying and like, you know, on a working holiday in different countries, that we could still have access to our work and our environment. And so if anything, it's just been great for us because we've just started off with such a flexible schedule and making sure our, you know, equipment was easy to move around and our, everything could be done from a laptop instead of needing, a, you know, something plonked down on a certain desk somewhere. Um, so it hasn't disrupted us in a negative way. I think it's just the way that new businesses are starting to grow. And I think it's very likely that we'll see more and more of these brands that are just remote from the beginning. What are some of the coolest things that have come out of the business as, yeah, you set it up so you can do it out of a spare room, but you've also um, spoken at massive conferences and delivered a TEDx speech and kind of, um, you know, made such an impact in a lot of people's lives? Yeah, I would have to say that the TEDx talk was probably the craziest thing that had happened. It was an email. I thought it was a scam. I didn't believe it at first. Um, But yeah, we got flown out to the US to speak about investing for women and it's, you know, it was my first time visiting the US and been before. It was such a, a crazy experience. And I think that was probably one of our biggest highlights so far. And what advice would you have to someone who is thinking about um, sharing some knowledge or helping to kind of answer a problem that they see? What I've always done is if there is a gap in something that I have wanted filled, that's usually what I just say go for. You know, with investing, I... When I was younger, I was investing and I wanted to find a community of, you know, like-minded people. And it was very um, not, you know, it was very sort of finance bro-y, if I can say that. Um, And I never really felt like I belonged in that space. And I thought, well, I just wish there was a space for people like me that just wanted a slow, you know, fun investing um, community or group of people. And so if no one else was doing it, why not I make it? And same with the the Indian feminist brand, you know, that was a brand where I was looking and seeking for something like that. It wasn't available. So I thought, well, if no one else is doing it, why not let myself be that person? Um, So if someone's looking and going, you know, I really wish there was like an X, Y, Z in this space that I'm interested in. No one else is doing it or no one else is doing it to the way I'd like to see it done. You're probably not the only person that feels that way. And a lot of my business decisions are directed based off the fact of, if this is something that I would like, I know I'm my own direct consumer. Other pe- people are probably going to like it too. Let's just give it a go. Yeah, I love it. And yeah, that act of making your own spaces makes room for so many more people as well and changes changes the, the, the debate and the shape of things. And as a, as a kind of final thought, what will success be for you personally? And what will success be for the girls that invest brand? I think for the brand, it's probably easier to speak on than success for myself. Um, I think with the brand, 
What I really want to see is where we're in a world where investing is equal. You are seeing just as men invest as women, just as many people of colour investing as, as other groups of people. And until that happens, I think we'll just be continuing working on this mission. Um, as opposed for myself, I think I'm going through a stage in my life where a lot of great, amazing things have happened you know, for me and the brand, being able to take it full time, you know, doing the TEDx talk, having met all these milestones, um, you know, we've just finished writing a book as well. So I don't know what success means for me anymore. I think it's just um, a process as opposed to kind of a goalpost. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story with us today. That's Samangor of Girls That Invest. Thank you for having me. So thank you to Simran Kaur from Girls That Invest. Do check out their podcast and can't wait to see where she takes it. Thank you for listening and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Te Butler. Do follow Business Is Boring wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to rate and leave a review. Go on, do it if you like what we do. Inohora. From the Spinoff Podcast Network, that was Business Is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.